Well, how many of you are glad for that amazing grace? Amen. Thank you. Well, it's good to be home, and uh, we missed you all, but I heard you had a great time, so we thank God for that. I thought, I was thinking about that song, Amazing Grace, and it was, <clears throat> the song was written by a man that had experienced a horrific tragedy in his life. His, there was a big Chicago fire and he'd lost most of his property and the property lines were so obscured that he and his family were scheduled for a transatlantic trip over to London on a ship and he had to stay behind or he ran the chance of losing his property. And, so he sent his wife and his daughters ahead. They had, were taking the trip because they had just lost a son uh, to sickness. And so it was trying to find some peace and rest and a time away from it all. And as they sailed <clears throat> and he stayed behind, in a few days he received a telegram. There had been an accident at sea and there were ships that collided. He and his wife survived, but his children were lost. And he went to try and make it back or to make it over to London. And as he went on the journey, he'd asked the captain to let him know when they were at the spot where the accident had taken place. I believe it was a ship. It may have been in iceberg they hit it was foggy and when they got to that spot they called him and he came up up on deck and he looked over and he thought about his daughter's lost and he began to pen those words and I'm telling the story about it is well with my soul I was just checking to see if you were listening And he, he, he wrote down when, billow, or when trials like sea billows roll, that through all of those tragedies, he said, you taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace was a slave trader. If you want to know about that, see me after service. <laughs> Oh, turn around, look at your neighbor and say, he's here, but his mind's not. <laughs> we came in, uh, we flew out of Montreal Friday. We hadn't canceled. There, there were delayed flights. And so we actually ended up in Little Rock at two o'clock yesterday morning. And uh, so we grabbed a nap and then jumped up and came on in. But we're glad to be here with you. You're just going to have to give me a few days for the rest of me to catch up. <laughs> uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to read a passage from John chapter 1. It'll be starting with verse 35, and it'll, it will be the message. But right before we do that, I want to set the stage with a little bit of a skit. So if you'd make them welcome, would you all come now?
Remember, talk aloud. I'm the only one with a mic. So they weren't too interested in the fact that he met Lecrae and got his autograph and danced on stage with the rapper. They were more interested in a different relationship. And I thought about relationships, how relationships can make us or break us and how important they are in our lives. And so I want to talk to you today from this topic, what are you after? Turn around, look at your neighbor and say that with me, would you? What are you after? Let me read a passage for you from John 135, starting 35 to 40. It says, the next day, John was back at his post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up, saw Jesus walking nearby and said, here he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you after? Say that with me. What are you after? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come along and see for yourself. And they came and saw where he was living and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother, Simon, telling him, we found the Messiah, that is Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it's life. We just ask you, Lord, to speak to us. Speak to our hearts, God, and help us to become who you've always intended us to be. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Andrew, James, John, Peter, they all start out as fishermen. And how many of you like to go fishing? Well, there's a few. How many of you like to eat fish? A few more. How many of you like to clean fish? I'd like to meet with you after service. I've got a job for you to do. <laughs> so there's, there's always, you know, there, there are these things that we like, but they were fishermen. But down in their heart, it seems like, especially for Andrew, that he's thinking there's got to be more to life than fishing. 
There's just got to be more to it. Now, it's hard for us to get that because when we think about fishing, we think about relaxing, being on the lake or, you know, going to a pond. So it's relaxing for us. But for them, it was their career. So let me say it to you this way and bring it up to modern times. There's got to be more to life than just your career. There's got to be more than to life than just what your everyday living is. Because if that's all there is, you're going to find yourself pretty empty somewhere. If that's all you live for, there's going to be a time when you experience burnout and you, you think, how many of you ever get tired of going to work? Anybody ever get tired of going to work? How many of you like someone else to go to work for you? We have a system for that. <clears throat> Never mind, you'll get it later. So here, here's the whole deal is that God made us to be the center of our lives. Everybody say, you've got to make room for God. It's amazing to me how many times we seek relationship and the relationships we go after lead us in different directions, but we're missing the primary relationship that can make all the difference in our lives. I thought about how people, there's nothing wrong with having a career and everybody needs to have a, some, some type of work that they love doing. And, and here's the deal is if you love going to work, if you love your job, then the old saying is you never have to work a day in your life. But how many of you know that sometimes you still feel like you're working even though you love your job? You know, it's just, it's just one of those things that you feel like, you know, man, I just need a break and hear these guys. I thought about people that made careers out of different things, but they didn't exclude Jesus. They brought him into the middle of their career. And for some of them, it had a profound impact. How many of you remember Tim Tebow? Wave your hand if you've heard his name. Remember Tim Tebow, the quarterback for Florida State, I believe it was? Florida. There's a difference. Okay. He was quarterback for, I had the state, right? I was just, the ending was wrong. He was quarterback for Florida. And you remember what happened with him and how he always, man, he was such a witness and he brought his witness into his game. And on that college level, man, it played out well for him. You know, he had, I think it was John three sixteen over his eyelids up here, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that made breaking news. And, you know, and then he was, he was always involved with, with, uh, children in orphanages in other countries doing missionary work. And, and then when he made his transition, everybody say he transitioned some of us never get there, do we? Sometimes we get to the trans part, but we never zition into it. We just, we, you know, we're, we're just stuck in the middle. And what he did was when he transitioned and he went to the NFL, he didn't leave his faith behind. It amazes me how sometimes it's so easy for us to leave our faith behind when we're in certain areas. Go to church on Sunday, but leave my faith behind when school starts. Worship God, sing the songs, but when I go to work, if I'm in traffic, you better not cut me off. Anybody ever been there? I know you don't want to admit it, but I've seen you. No, I'm kidding. I haven't. 
but God has. God sees us all, doesn't he? So we have those times, and, and, but Tebow brought his faith with him. And when he brought his faith with him to the NFL, man, I'm telling you there were those around that tried to destroy him over his faith. Now hear me, but his faith was more important to him than his career. And so he thought, there's a lot of things I can lose, but I'm not going to lose out with God. And so he stood strong and he held on. And you say, but, but, but look what happened. He, he didn't get the career that he wanted. How do you know? How, how do you know? Just because he didn't get what we thought he deserved or what we thought he ought to have doesn't mean that God still isn't using him. And it doesn't mean that he's not happy. And it doesn't mean that he's disappointed. As a matter of fact, if you listen to him, he sounds pretty happy. What about just recently? How many of you saw the game between Alabama and Georgia? One person, two people, two people. Did you see, you, you know, Alabama was down 13 points in the half. And, and they, they did the unthinkable. They brought out a freshman quarterback. And this freshman quarterback was from Hawaii. And so he comes out and, man, he starts throwing passes. And all of a sudden, he, he, he's got them back in range. And they get down 13 more points. And he's bringing them back. It goes into overtime. And, and they're going to kick a field goal for the win. And they miss a field goal. So he's got to come back out on the, state or on the field. And that's a lot of stress for a freshman. That's a lot of stress for anybody. He comes back out on the field and they're going and they're going and he throws that 41-yard pass to another freshman and they win the game. Thank you. <laughs> and after it was over, after it was over and they, they're interviewing, Charisma interviewed him and he's saying, man, I, 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 he said, I, I just, I was praying. He said, I, I was just praying and speaking in tongues. <laughs> That's what he told him. <laughs> He said, he said, I was praying, I was speaking in tongues. He said, I think all my teammates thought I was speaking Hawaiian. <laughs> but he just, he kept his faith in God and God kept him. How many of you know that when you'll hang on to him, you can rest assured he's hanging on to you? An actor by the name of Jim Caviezel risked his career for a movie called The Passion. As a matter of fact, when Mel Gibson hired him, he went back to him and then said to him, look, I can't do this to you. This is going to mess your career up because he was already experiencing the pressure from Hollywood. Just on the fact that he, he was putting this movie on, he, he had to fund it with his own money. Nobody would invest. And when it became a blockbuster, they wouldn't recognize it. But how many of you know that God recognizes when nobody else does? 
And for Jim, this wasn't just a movie. This was about his faith. This was about something he knew he had to do. And what he experienced in putting that film on, he was struck by lightning while he was on that cross. And they thought that he would die. This was on location when they were whipping him. The scene where they're whipping him, when you see that whip go over and it catches his side and you see him wince in pain, that wasn't acting. They missed the they, they missed the pad that they had put on his back and the guy actually hung into his rib and ripped it. Doctors had gathered around him and they were saying, look, man, I don't know that he can go on with this. This could end up killing him. And he made the statement. He said, I didn't get that point. I, I knew I had to complete this film. He said, even if it cost me my life. Because what matters to him is Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. What matters to you? What matters to you? What relationships matter to you? We all have relationships that, that transform our lives that, or, or that ought to have great influences in our lives. And, but the sad thing is, is some of those relationships aren't always what God intended them to be. Relationships with father and mother and siblings relationships with spouse and friends. You know, I had a great family experience. My family didn't go to church, and that's not why it was a great experience. But I'm saying I knew, look, I, 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 knew, I, I knew the other side, but my, my parents had a moral compass. And while they never took me to church, they encouraged me to go. And then the day came when I watched my dad get saved right before he left this world. When I watched my mother transition and go from this life to another life and yet knew she was going to be with him. Because what matters isn't how long you're here, it's who you get to know while you're here. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, what matters to you? I mean, isn't it something how we begin to discern what really matters? You know, you're talking to your children, pick up your clothes. Would you get your clothes, or sometimes to your spouse, pick up your clothes. Do you, do, you know, do you not know where the laundry hamper is? Why, 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 why? You've got water all over the sink. What do you do when you wash your hands? <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> There's water all, and, and, and you know, or, 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 or different things about, you know, well, what about, oh, you, there, you, you scratched the car. You put a dent in the car. But a phone call comes in. And the car is completely wrecked. And you're going to a hospital. And now the scratch doesn't matter. The dents don't matter. The water doesn't matter. And the clothes don't matter. The only thing that matters 
Are you okay? See, sometimes we get our what matters all out of focus in our life. We let relationships become unhealthy and instead of keeping them where God wanted them. And so Andrew knew that there had to be more than life to, than just fishing. Because the passage that I read, Andrew had already become a disciple of John the Baptist. So he's following John, and, 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 and he knows he's looking for something more. And, and all of a sudden, one day while he's following John, he's with John. John looks up and sees Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew quit following John and started following Jesus. And Jesus turned around and looked at him coming, and they said, what, what are you after? What are you following me for? I want you to ask yourself a question today. Why are you following Christ? What are you after? Am I following him because I, I need a, a financial blessing? Am I following him because I, 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 you know, I'm lonely and I, I, I want someone in my life? Am I following him for the stuff that he can bring me? Or am I following him because I got a glimpse of Calvary's cross? And after I saw what he did for me, I, I fell head over heels in love with this man named Jesus. I, I want him. They said, what are you after? And they looked at him and they said, Rabbi, where do you live? <laughs> you know, look, you don't ask somebody where they live unless you plan on hanging out with them. You know, if a stranger in the street came up to you and said, uh, could you tell me where you live? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, think about it. Some guy come up to you and say, especially if it's to your wife, and he says, where do you live at? Right next to me. <laughs> what are you after? It's, it's what has to go through your mind. What are you after? What would, Debbie, what would you do if some very attractive lady walked up to me and, 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 and to Walmart and said, where do you live at? Oh, you're not going to answer. <laughs> Her eyes just went from green to red. I just, uh, <laughs> you see, the, here's the deal is n nobody likes it, right? Not the man, not the woman. Why? Because we lay claim to certain relationships that belong to us. Do you understand that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy? He's after a relationship that belongs to you. He's got no right trying to take it from you. So hang on to Jesus. Don't let go. He said, where do you live? And he said, come and see. And they went, they spent the day. I'm not interested in a Sunday morning. I want... A relationship that sees me through the whole week. Because when Sunday mornings, chill bumps are gone. And you've got to face Monday. You don't have to face it alone. If what you're after is what really matters. What are you after? So they go and hang out with him. Man, they spend the whole day with him. Now I want you to watch this. Because the first thing Andrew does is after he has spent the day with Jesus is he runs 
to tell his family. He goes and he finds Peter. And he said, Peter, we found the Messiah. And he took Peter to him. Isn't it odd how sometimes when we get saved, we try to avoid family? Sometimes the last people we tell is our family. Well, they won't understand. Well, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. My, I, I, I remember a family member said to me one time, she said, I've just been hurt so much. I, I've been hurt so much. And I wasn't trying to be smart, but I just looked at her and I said, you've been hurt? <laughs> I said, you ever have the, the flesh ripped off your back? You've been hurt? You ever been beat by, a, by a, an army of soldiers? You've been hurt? You ever have spikes driven through your hands or your feet? You've been hurt? Don't talk to me about hurt because Calvary is the epitome of suffering. And yet he was willing to do it all for us. What are you after? I'm after someone that loved me so much he'd rather die for me than live without me. That's what I'm after. I'm after the epitome of love. He goes and he tells Peter, and when Peter gets to him, it changes his life. Think about this. Run up here real quick, Kevin. Hurry. So he walks up. He, Peter walks up to Jesus, and, and, and he says, your name is Simon. You're the son of Jonah or John. He said, but that's not who you are anymore. Now, I don't know if he had insight to who he was. I just know he knew he, who he was before he knew who he was. <laughs> he told Jeremiah, he said, when you were yet in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you. And he says, that's not who you are. See, here's what you've got to understand is the world is trying to define you and tell you who you are. And how many of you know that sometimes the world's just a big fat liar? <laughs> and they're, they're, they're trying to put stuff off on you and tell you you're this and you're that. They try to identify you by the color of your hair or the color of your skin. They talk about race. Do you understand? And I hope we get this as a church. There's only one race, and that's the human race. You may have a different skin pigmentation, but we're, look, man, we're from the same race. Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm your brother from another mother that you didn't know anything about. I was in Trinidad, and I'd, I'd gotten the sun for some time. I was there for several days, and I started getting real dark. And all of a sudden, one of the Trinidadian brothers looked at me and he said, Brother, you're here two more weeks. You look just like me. <laughs> Do you understand? We are uniquely and divinely connected. We're all of the same race, the same origin. As a matter of fact, scientifically, we have the same genome, DNA. So we're, I know some of you aren't too thrilled to learn that about me. <laughs> I'm the relative you tried to keep hid from the rest of the family. But believe it or not, I'm here. <laughs> and he said, you're not. That's not who you are. I'm going to let you know who I made you to be 
Your name is not Simon. Your name is Peter because you are a rock. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Thank you. And so he delivers the first salvation message at at the day of Pentecost. What must we do to be saved? And he jumps up and they build that foundation. Andrew was anxious to tell his family, how about you? What are you after? Do you want your family to know about Jesus? Well, then quit depending on somebody else to tell them. (laughs) Tell them yourself. Well, they don't, they won't receive me. Who cares? They don't receive you now. (laughs) One one more notch isn't going to hurt you. One more feather in your hat. Don't, don't get into this stuff about it and let emotions play into this. Well, I'm afraid, what if, they, what if they reject me? Is it the first time in your life you've ever been rejected? Do you understand that some things are more important than our comfort? And so he tells his brother, and he sees his brother's life changed. And Andrew develops this attitude. Everybody say, I got an Andrew attitude. (laughs) Andrew gets this attitude that he wants to tell everybody about Jesus. (laughs) He wants to not just tell them, he wants to bring them and introduce them. Remember how excited David was when he bopped up here? I danced with the worm, with LaCroix. I was calling him LaCroix. I didn't know who he was. And, 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 And so excited about that, but... Here, Andrew has found a relationship that he knows from a firsthand basis has not just transformed his life, but it's transformed the life of his family. And so he starts looking for people. Now, there's this big crowd that's gathered together, and they're hungry. And Jesus looks at Philip, and he said, where can we buy bread that these can eat? And Philip looks in the till, and he tells Jesus, said, look, man, 200 denarii. We, we don't have enough money to buy everybody even a piece of bread. But Andrew's there, and Andrew has this kid with him. Everybody say, a young boy trying to see if there's a young boy in here. If you're a young boy, would you stand up? If, you, if you're, come on up, run up here. Give him a hand as he comes. So Andrew's got this young boy with him. Why is Andrew hanging out with a young boy? It may have been because of something Jesus had said earlier. When they brought children to him to bless them, and the disciples tried to stop them, Jesus rebuked the disciples. And he said, don't you keep children from coming to me. He said, because this is what the kingdom of heaven consists of. Unless you come like a child, you're not going to enter in. So he's got this young boy with him, and 
and all of a sudden, Jesus, run up here, Mike. Jesus, pretend he's 33. <laughs> so, so Jesus is, is up, you know, and, and Andrew's getting ready to introduce. He, he, he overhears the conversation. Now, he knows because the, he, the, this boy's got his lunch with him. Open your bag. Five loaves, two fish. I heard a guy say one time, <laughs> honest to goodness, he said, that wasn't no miracle. Those two fish were tuna. Tuna can weigh 400 pounds apiece. I like your miracle better. There's a little boy packing 800 pounds of tuna around in his back. <laughs> I mean, really. And so he goes, he looks at it, he, he overhears, and I can't help but think, that Andrew had a conversation with this boy. Would you be willing to trust him with your lunch? <laughs> Do it over here so everybody can see. <laughs> he rolled those eyes. <laughs> what you really think about it, man, that little boy's got to be thinking, man, I'm hungry, you know. And mom sent this. This isn't, look, this is, these are two little fish. These aren't great big fish he's packing around. This is his lunch. It's not five great big loaves of bread. These are five little, as a matter of fact, if you study the uh, commentary on it, you find out that the bread's like little pieces of bread that this guy's got, this, this boy has. And so he, he, he decides, okay, I'm willing to take a chance. And Andrew can't wait. So he comes over here and he says, don't run off, don't run off. And he comes over here and he, he, he's overheard the conversation. And Philip said, we don't have enough money to buy all this. And Andrew steps up and he said, there's a lad here, there's a young boy here that's got five loaves and two fish. And he sees all the disciples look at him. Are you out of your mind? And then he goes, but what are they among so many? And he said, and Jesus just says, cause the people to sit down. I love this part. When he asked Philip where they could buy bread, the scripture said, he did it to test Philip's faith because he already knew what he was going to do. I want you to get this. He already knew there was a young boy in that crowd. He had already dealt with that young boy's heart in a way that nobody had been able to see. And he knew that that young boy was getting ready to give him all he had. And when that transpired, go ahead and hand him your lunch. When that transpired, give him a big hand, would you? Well, stay here with me just a second. Go ahead. When, when that transpired, that young boy watches something impossible happen. He watches Jesus pray for his lunch, and he watches him feed over 5,000 people. When Andrew introduced this boy to Jesus, it changed that boy's life forever. For the rest of his life until he's a man grown and, and with grandchildren of his own and, and he's telling them about a God that can take your little bit and do wonderful things with it. He's telling them about a God that's able to use what you have when you're willing to give it to him. Can't you see him walking around that day? Walk with me. Can't you see him walking around that day through the crowd? That's my lunch you're eating there. You know that, don't you? 
You like that fish? Yeah, that's mine, yeah. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. <laughs> Give him a big hand, thank you. Yeah, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. I know the rest of that song. It changed that boy's life. Now hear me. I, I really want you to get this as a parent. Because, and, and hey, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. I am thrilled that you're, you're involved in your children's lives and you need to be. And they need to play ball. And they need to, to belong to clubs. And they need all of this. But what are you after at the end of this thing? That they have a relationship with a ball team? Or that they have a relationship with a king of kings? What, there, there's nothing wrong with ball and there's nothing wrong with clubs. But when ball and clubs become more important than Christ, there is something wrong with that. What are you after? I'm only here for so long. I'm only here so many years. I don't know how much more time I get. But what I'm after while I'm here is for the relationship that I have with him to make a difference in the relationship of others. Amen. So ask yourself this question. Look at your clock and look at your watch and say, how much more time? Come on, look at it. How much more time? I'm not talking about how much more time is this preacher going to preach. <laughs> look at your watch and say, how, how much more time do I have? And I don't even, see, I don't even have a watch. I'm out of time. How much longer do we have here? So now, fast forward with me. Jesus has been with them for three and a half years we're getting, we, we are in the last week of his life. The last Passover that he will celebrate with them. And a week before that happens, he comes into town and the town goes nuts, man. The town goes crazy and they grab palm leaves. They couldn't meet him with a, a, an, an army to march him into town. And they couldn't meet him with the fanfare of a band to march him into town. So what they met him with were palm leaves that were symbols of joy and victory. And so these people that seemingly had nothing in their life met him and let him know since I met you I found the victory since I met you I got some joy in my life since I met you and they they greet him with those palms and they bring him into town and man the town is going wild and the Pharisees give a prophetic utterance that they don't even recognize the town is going wild this is in John the 12th chapter Along, along about the 12th verse, they're going wild. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees look up and they see what's going on. And now they're so upset, they want to kill Lazarus. Because Jesus had raised, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And because he had raised Lazarus from the dead, people weren't just believing anymore because of Jesus. People were believing because of what had happened to Lazarus. Ooh, I, I wish you could get that. 
Let me break it down for you. What God has done in your life can make a difference and such a profound difference that it makes the enemy nervous. Ain't nobody here today, are there? I'm talking about how many of you, when you wake up, would like the devil to get nervous? Anybody in here? Anybody in here like to wake up and say, oh, no, man, the devil say, no, no, look out. Here they come again. They're going to tell somebody about him. They're going to share somebody. They're going to share him with someone. I guarantee you, my wife gives the devil a nervous breakdown, especially when she goes shopping. Because somebody's going to hear about Jesus. I lost her on the boat. 18 floors, we were on the Royal Princess. Man, the biggest ship I'd ever been on. But, I mean, the thing is huge. It, it, it pulled up beside other, other uh, cruise lines and, and made them look like rowboats. This thing was huge. And I, I can't find her. And I'm looking, where's my wife? Go outside, you know, looking for the maitre d' or whoever it is out there. Have you seen my wife? Have you? And all of a sudden, she comes in. And I handled myself calm, cool. Where have you been? <laughs> no, I didn't realize. Where, where were you? I've been, I've been all over the ship looking for you. She said, well, I was shopping. And I got, to lead, I, I got to minister to someone while I was shopping. That makes it all all right, folks. You can forget any argument after that. It's, and, and so she, you know, and, and she picked up a few items because after all, when you're witnessing, you need to make an investment. And, and so, she, you know, and, 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 but she's, she's sharing and, and it's changing people's lives. I want, matter of fact, years ago, Debbie prayed a prayer. And she asked God, she said, God, please, I want every day I live to make a difference in someone's life. I want this day to have counted for you. And so she began to seek opportunity begin to look at life differently. Andrew has seen him do so much. And he's so excited to be with him. In the last week of Jesus' life, when now the Pharisees are so mad, they want to kill not just Jesus, but now they're talking about killing Lazarus because Lazarus' life's making a difference. Hear me. When your life begins to make a difference, you can rest assured you're going to come under attack. How many of you have ever come under attack? Wave your hand if you've ever come under attack. Now, let me explain something to you. You can come under attack for no reason. So, exactly, thank you. So, if I'm going to come under attack, I'm going to make it count for something. The devil's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't care. He's, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he's coming after me, we ought to bring it back to him. I, I don't want to sit in a boxing ring and just become somebody's punching bag. If I'm going to get in a fight, I'm going to land a few blows myself. Come on, somebody. It's time for us to ask the question, what are we after? And so... He is with him, and now everything's about to culminate. The, the, the climax is about to arrive, and nobody even knows it. And something unique happens in that celebration. Pharisees are so upset. They see what's going on. They're plotting two murders. 
And one of them makes a statement and says this. Don't you understand? We're, we're accomplishing nothing at all. Let me translate this for you. Every way we've tried to stop him, we failed. Every time we've tried to cause him to stumble, we failed. We've accomplished nothing at all. Now listen to what they say. It's a prophetic utterance and they don't even know it. The world has gone after him. Say it with me. The world has gone after him. Right after that happens, Philip shows up with some Greeks. I'm not talking about Greek salad, folks. The term Greek is the name that Jews used to denote every pagan nation. So when Philip shows up with some Greeks, he has shown up with those that represent pagan nations. They find Philip, and this is what they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. Because everything that I've done in my life has left me empty. And I've heard about this man. And I've come to the conclusion that what really matters is for me to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip doesn't know what to do. Philip runs and finds Andrew. Everybody say the Andrew attitude. He finds Andrew, and when he comes to Andrew, he said, Andrew, come up here a minute, Mike. He, he goes, he, he, he brings these Greeks, and, and come up here a minute, Mike. I got two mics, and I need a Kevin. He, he comes up here. He's got, these, he's got these Greeks, and he, come over here, be a Greek. Okay. He's got, he's got these Greeks over here, and, and he comes up, and you be Philip. And he comes up, to, he comes up and he says, and, and Philip looks at Andrew, and he says, hey, I got these Greeks, man. I got these pagans. I got these heathens. I got these low. Oh, never mind. He's saying, he's saying, I got, I got all these folks and they want to see Jesus. And that's all Andrew needed. Andrew said, come on, grab them, grab them. Come on. And he, and, and he takes them, and, and Andrew leading the way, and Andrew takes Philip and these Greeks, and he goes to Jesus and said, Lord, there's some guys here wanting to meet you. Now listen to me. When Jesus saw that, uh, this is what he says. He says, now the glory of God is manifested to the world. Uh, do you understand that when you get hungry enough uh, to want to lead somebody to Christ uh, that doesn't know them, uh, that, does, that doesn't look like you look doesn't act like you lie act when you're hungry enough to take them that's when the glory of God gets manifested would you stand with me today what matters what matters to you what are you after I want you to take a moment and think about this. What are you after? If everything you knew about life, about family, about living 
If everything you knew was going to come to an end today, what would you be after? A autograph? A new boyfriend? A new girlfriend? One more step in the corporate ladder before I have to leave. Or would you be like those Greeks and say, sir, we would see Jesus. I want to see him. I want to know him. And that's when the glory of God begins to come down. Now you hear me, you are not who your parents said you were. You are not who your siblings said you were. You are not who your friends said you were. You are a son and a daughter of a king. And he desires to appoint you to your rightful position. So he's come to say this, that's not who you are. You're a rock. You're not going to give up and give in. You're not going to flounder and fail. You're going to rise up and succeed. You're going to be a light in a dark place, and you're going to shine and cause others to be drawn to my presence. That's who you are. Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, if you're in this building today and you've never seen him, I'm not talking about with a natural eye. I'm talking about you've never known him in your heart. You've, you've never come to understand who he really is. And look, I, church, I know you've heard me say this over and over, but I'm not going to stop saying it. If living for God it had been about going to church and sitting on a pew, I would have never done it. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. There had to be a reality to this God for me. And when I found him, I found that reality. I found a God that can talk to you. <laughs> I know the news media hears that, and they think we're crazy. You mean God talks to you? Well, <laughs> I know some folks that go look at crystal balls to get talked to. I just look to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And can I say this? If God can't talk to us, he's a pretty weak God, isn't he? I mean, I'm able to talk to you, and you're not amazed about that. Why should it amaze you that the one that gave me the ability to speak can speak to you? God 
talks to us. And then he reaches way down in here. And when everything seems to be going wrong, why do I feel joy in my soul? How, how can I smile when storms clouds gather? <laughs> because the scripture said the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the joy of my circumstance, not the joy of my situation. So everything can be going wrong around me, but I can still have joy in me because if Christ be for me, who can be against me? So here's my invitation to you. I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. And if your response to that is saying, Pastor, I would see Jesus. Now don't get all hung up on, well, I, you know, I've been going to church for, you know, years and I don't want folks to think I didn't know him. Would you quit worrying about what people think long enough to just get a relationship that's real? I know a lot of folks who went to church all their life and I don't think they're any closer to God than they were when they first went there. I mean, honestly, think about it. You know, have you ever met somebody supposed to be living for God and act like a bad person? The Bible said you'll know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Sir, I would see Jesus. Now, let me, let me just share this with you because you got to keep check on your fruit. Because every once in a while, a bad apple will show up. bad attitude. Get that wormy thing off your tree. I need an Andrew attitude, not a bad attitude. So Jesus even teaches us that when the vine bears fruit, he prunes it so it will bear more fruit. So we all have those times of pruning in our life. Just let him do it so you can walk away from there with your world changed forever. So if you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I want to see Jesus. I want you to come and stand with me right now at the front of this building. I'm not going to hold long. There's some of you that are here that need to take that step. You feel it in your heart. You, it, it's not that you don't know God. It's just that you've, you, you need to get closer to him because what surrounds you is overwhelming you and you just need him to step in. Sir, we would see Jesus. Would you come right now? Would you be as honest as Dwayne is and say, I, I want to see him? There are others. Just take a moment right now and look down deep in your heart because you're going to have to buckle up for the ride God's getting ready to take us on. I just want to make sure before we get out of the gate everybody's ready are you ready are you ready for what God's got in store for you are you ready for that then if this is what I want you to do I want you to raise your hands just go ahead and do it with me right now raise your hands now I do this but I you know you shouldn't make a stranger raise their hand why Have you ever been held up before first thing they do is make you raise your hands do you understand that the word praise the translation for the word praise in Hebrew is an extension of the forearm. 
It literally means to raise your hands. So what you're doing is when you raise your hands, it's an act of worship to God. It's an act of praise. This is what you're saying, I surrender. Now look, I've been in some headlocks before I was glad to surrender to because I knew I couldn't go on the way I was. God's getting ready to change some things. Would you stretch your hands to heaven and say, thank God for the change. Go ahead and sing it.
stepped up a little closer today wave your hand at me praise God let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that this is what I want you to understand that God is bringing you in closer to use you he's not bringing you in just so things are better for you he's bringing you in to use you do you understand Peter's struggle and his turmoil he Jesus called him rock when he first met him but he doesn't seem like a rock when you watch him. He says, Lord, none of these things will ever happen to you. And the Lord ends up rebuking him. He said, I'll never deny you. I would die for you. He said, you're going to deny me three times. The Lord did not measure Peter by his weakest moments. What he did was he saw Peter's heart and he saw his desire. And he said, Peter, Satan's tried to sift you like wheat. Now get a hold of this. Can I put this in plain vernacular? Peter, the devil's tried to take you out, but I've stepped in to build a wall of protection around you. And when you're converted, you're going to strengthen your brethren. You're going to find that you're bigger, better, rough enough, and got stuff enough to get through what you're going through. Now turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I may not look like much to you. Go ahead, say it. I'll, I'll wait for you. I may not look like much to you, but you need to know this. There's a lion inside of me, and it's getting ready to roar. Now go ahead and roar at him one time. Let me hear it, Panaki. All right. Let's leave this place and let the lion roar. God bless you.